Hello and welcome to the Retro Anime Podcast. I'm your host Ian and I'm here as usual with my co-host Lewis. Hello Lewis. Hi, uh, how are you getting on? I'm fine, thanks. How's life in Dublin at the moment? Good, grand. It's um, oh, it's freezing. Yeah. It's so unbelievably cold. <laughs> but um, I've only got storage heaters in the house, so it makes it makes it incredibly expensive and, and also <laughs> disappointingly ineffective to keep the place heated. So <laughs> nightmare, you know, nightmare. Peaks and troughs. Peaks and troughs. Yeah, always the way. Uh, right, a few things before, or just one thing really, before we get into the main content of uh, today's episode. So, uh, about a month ago, I did a podcast with Doc of the uh, Warui Deshu podcast. Um, we did a podcast called the Anime Dads Club podcast, where we uh, talked about what it's like being a dad, and we talked about dads in anime and our kids and, and everything. So, um, you can find it on SoundCloud. And you can find Warui Deshu on uh, Twitter as well. So uh, find them at Warui Deshu. And that's spelt W-A-R-U-I space D-E-S-H-O-U. So, um, yeah, check them out. Uh, quite, I had quite good fun doing that. So uh, so please have a listen. Um, today's episode, uh, we're going to take a look at uh, Studio Ghibli before it was Studio Ghibli. So I'm a big fan of Isai Takahata, um, a really big fan of his, and you know, if I'm honest, he's my preferred director at Studio Ghibli. Um, one of his films, Only Yesterday, uh, is one of my all-time favourite films. And Isai Takahata and Hayao Miyazaki, along with uh, producer Toshio Suzuki, have become a stalwart powerhouse in the anime industry um, after setting up Studio Ghibli in in '84. But but long before that, Takahata and uh, Miyazaki were obviously doing a lot of work um, that would set them on the path that would help them stand out from the crowd um, in the world of anime. So today we're going to have a look at uh, Horus, Pints of the Sun and Panda Go Panda. Um, Lewis, before we get into the reviews, um, you know, we've we've watched a lot of other Studio Ghibli films together. Mm. Oh, um, who hasn't at this point, have they? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, one of those two particular favourites, or are you kind of indifferent to one better than the other? Uh, of the ones we reviewed? Um, oh, the ones we're reviewing today, or do you mean well, in no, general? No, just in general, sorry. In yeah. general. Um, hmm. I don't know, I, I, I think Spirited Away is one of those, you know, it's, pretty, it's widely celebrated as one of the best animated you know, pieces. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I have to say that um, Laputa, Castle in the Sky... Um, is up there with one of my favourites. And what else? Mm. I'd say that's probably my favourite Miyazaki film, Laputa. I think mm, that's, yeah. I think it's a great film. Yeah. Laputa and um, Howl's Moving Castle, simply because it was one of the it was the first one you got me, I think. Yeah, um, I took you to DVD. the cinema to see that. Yeah, that's true, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was yeah, the first so anime you saw at the cinema. Yeah, apart from come. apart from the westernized uh, Pokemon 2000. And <laughs> oh yeah, apart from that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's uh, yeah, it's a pretty cherished memory. Yeah, so like I say, I've you know I kind of knew a, a bit about them before I really understood what Studio Ghibli was. I remember Manga Mania having um, something about. Um, Laputa and, and various films um, but it wasn't really until 
about 10 or 15 years ago once it started you know especially once uh, Spirit Away won the Oscar and everything and, and the Studio Ghibli stuff became a bit more mainstream that I really sort of discovered uh, Iso Takahata and, and got into his films and then discovered that his particular style um, was just I just preferred it and I just liked the way his stories sort of played out and the way he produced and directed his films uh, you know he, 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 there was just something distinctive about Takahata's style that that stood out for me so um, you know I do think they're a bit different and I think with Takahata people either love him or hate his films a bit more than Miyazaki's I think Miyazaki's have a bit more broader appeal but yeah uh, there's, there's something there's something really distinctive about his style um, that, that I, I really like with Takahata so we'll get into the reviews so our first review today is going to be Horus Prince of the Sun uh, as it's commonly known so Horus Prince of the Sun is a 1968 film directed by Aisai Takahata and produced by Toei Doga uh, this was the first film directed by Aisai Takahata and it was the film where Takahata met Hayao Miyazaki um, Miyazaki was actually just an animation in between on the film for Toei Dega. You can get the film in the UK on DVD, it was released by Optimum. Um, you can also get it on DVD and Blu-ray in the US. Uh, it's been recently released by Discotech. So, what's it about? So, basically, in a world ruled by the evil Grunwald, Horus lives with his father, who on his deathbed tells Horus to go back to his people and help them defeat Gronrold so that everybody can live sort of happily ever after. Okay, so Lewis, what did you think of Horus, Prince of the Sun? I really enjoyed it, I have to say. I really did. It was, like, um, it was just a really tight story. Um, it was cool. I, lo- I love, you could tell immediately, sort of uh, from the run cycle animation of uh, how every time they do the... Uh, it's very, I don't know, very Ghibli-esque. It's just like... Um, a panning camera shot where it shows the, the main character or one of the other characters running, but you know their upper body is fairly very still, but the legs do this almost Roadrunner-esque yeah. sort of pattern run cycle that they're just um, running away from wolves and everything else. It's, it, you know, it's got everything. It's got action, decent, like pretty pretty good character development, um, drive. Everyone's roles are pretty clear, and um, no, I, I, I didn't. I wasn't really left wanting more at the end of it, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's. I do think it's a pretty good film. I've seen it um, quite a number of times over the last five or six years since I first saw it. I went out and bought the DVD of this from Optimum when it got released. It looked quite interesting. Again, I wanted to see more of Takahata's work, um, and I really enjoyed it then. Um, and I and I watched it several times. I've watched it twice in preparation for this, and I and I both times I enjoyed it. It's not perfect, I think. Um, you know, there's a few no. there's a few missteps in it, um, which we'll talk about. But I think on the whole, it's a very very good film, and it kind of does a lot of things, like you say, with the characters. It does all those things quite well. It's got a very, I think, a very interesting story. It chips along generally at a pretty good pace, um, mm. but I think the characters are the bit that really make this film. I think, you know, Horace yeah. and then Hilda. Um, and Hilda is very, very key to this film. Um, yeah. Her her portrayal and what she does through the film um, is very good. Um, you know, the fact that she's Grunwald, who is the is the evil um, 
you know the head head baddie the the sort of devil or yeah, the demon Dr. Evil himself yeah yeah exactly and then you know he's she uh, Hilda is her, uh, his sister and then she tries to she's trying to get Horace she's to, torn yeah she's yeah, sort and she's torn and she yeah. yeah she's she's drawn between you know like being forced into evil and you know wanting to be human I suppose um or you know enjoying the human aspect of being with uh, Horus. Yeah. Um, and I think her, and I like to call it her torment really, um, is what really I think makes this film so good because all the, she turns up probably about a third of the way through the film, but then all yeah. the way through the rest of the film, she's absolutely key to all the, um, to how the plot develops and what happens with all the characters. Mm. Um, because she's in this constant sort of tussle with good and bad. She's sometimes reluctant to, to be bad or do things that are bad but then sometimes she really really relishes it you know after mm. the um rat attack where philia you know interrupts uh philia and rusin's um wedding you know she's mm. injured and she you know she's kind of gleeful that philia's been hurt but then she then kind of is sort of remorseful about it when she gives um drago horace's axe um, yeah. And then, likewise, when she pushes Horus into the uh, forest of doubt, uh, and then she's like really kind of remorseful again that she's she's done it, you know. And she's in this constant sort of battle with herself, um, mm. which is really interesting because it's 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 really really interesting, uh, you know, the way she's developed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's one of those strange things about like I don't know where the, the character progression sits. On, on a on a scale really because there's because she obviously is just the most d- developed character along the way next yeah. to Horus um, and I think she's the most interesting one uh, uh, but then um, is it, I, I keep wanting to calling him Griswold like Griswold found the Christmas but yeah the the, the Grunwald, yeah, he, he's his actual drawing, it like the faces and everything else are very strange to me. Yeah, because I kept, I kept, I kept thinking Hilda because she's drawn very soft. Yeah, um, and everything else, but, but she still looks, um, I guess like a doll, and it was yeah. kind of unner, it was kind of unnerving every time I saw her smile. I, it, was, it was just weird. <laughs> well, I think one of the interesting things about Hilda is that she has different coloured eyes to everyone else in the film. Um, mm. Everyone else has like blue or very dark or black eyes, and she has these very sort of light brown, and and I, that makes her stand out distinctively as a character. Her look, um, mm. you know, with her matching headband and outfit, dress, and everything, yeah, makes her her look. Clean. Yeah, yeah, makes her her look makes her stand out. You know, and I think that's quite interesting because she looks so different to all the other characters in the film. And what you're saying about Grunwald as well, I think. Again, this is probably it was probably quite new back in sort of the late mid to late sixties. Grunwald's look, he just looks like any sort of antagonist from <laughs> from the sixties and seventies. You know, when you look back at anime from those years, that that horned look, yeah, um, and with it, the cape I, and everything, it's very I don't know. Even for then, it just seems very generic. It just looks so maleficent, doesn't it? It's, yeah, uh, it's it was very odd. It was. When yeah. it showed him up as like the big scary, I was like, "Guy, oh, he's lanky. He's not yeah. a big buff sort of demon enemy that I'd expect Horus, the Sun Prince, Prince yeah. of the Sun, to go up against." Um, and Prince of the Sun—that's uh, another uh, another thing I want to tackle. It never really 
I guess like in the final segment, you're like, oh, okay, so he's the Prince of the Sun. But it's never really like, it doesn't really cul- culminate into no into him being the Prince of the Sun. No. It's just like the, the sword gets yeah, reforged. Yeah, there's a couple of it, yeah, go on. Yeah. I was just saying, I was just saying, because they they forget about the sword for a long time. Mm, yeah, it, it, it kind of gets thrown to the wayside, and I was a little bit annoyed about it because I was like, "But this is meant to be this all-powerful sword that I'm assuming, of course, we're going to have to have everyone work together, just as um as Mog uh, stated at the very beginning." Yeah. Uh, and I was like, okay, they, so they've they've done you know the classic you know within ten minutes I know exactly what his mission is and I know what his drive is now yeah. that his you know yeah. his father's died, but I know exactly what his drive is. I cannot question his character motives from this point. Um, and then the sword saves his life when he gets tossed off the mountain by Grunwald. Yeah. And then we don't hear from the sword. No. Again, really at all until it's the final act, and you're like, but it doesn't do anything. No, because because you're absolutely right because the the bit at the beginning when he meets Maug and he pulls a sword out, um, you know, there's like there's a hint of Excalibur, yeah, sword of the stone, sword of the stone sort of thing in there, Chosen you know. One. And every good fantasy story needs a mythical sword in it as well, I yeah. think, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, like the whole the whole Legend of Zelda series is uh, <laughs> just. A... Yeah. Um, and like I say, and the Prince of the Sun bit because there's a bit when Horus is in the boat um, heading out. And um, you see the sun silhouetted right behind his head, and it sort of sort of glares, like yeah, it illuminates yeah. behind him. And it's like, you know, here's the prince of the sun. But like you say, then that aspect of it is pretty yes. much because um, they use the sun obviously to default Grunwald at the end, where everyone reflecting. So he, he uses that power of the sun, but it's I don't know, it's it's not it um, like... <laughs> it's not obvious. I mean, it's not explicit. Oh, in, no, in... I sat there. <laughs> I sat there. I was like. I sat back in my chair and I was like, what? The? He could have used a bloody mirror. Like, <laughs> he could have literally have used a mirror and achieved the same effect. Yeah. yeah. No. But So there's there's that bit of it. And then there's, because like you say, the, the, the sword saved him, then you don't see it. And then they start reforging the sword and then it scares Hilda off when she touches it. You know, she has a bit of a anti-demon, you know, anti-demon type reaction to it. And then it's forgotten yeah. about and then it's reforged yeah. and then... Yeah, so it kind of should play a bigger bit than it yeah. than it does. I mean, that whole uh, that whole sequence where she touches it and she shies away from it and everything else. Like, I I I feel like we already bloody knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I mean the only I I guess it served as a point to really just add a little bit of doubt in Horace's mind. Yeah. But he because of his character, he completely threw away the yeah, doubt anyway. I know. He's just like, oh Hilda, classic Hilda. Oh, I've known <laughs> you for so long, Hilda. That was a big old just a just a misunderstanding you're a good person and like it's it honestly served no real purpose no um, because it didn't it didn't do anything to sway Horace at all did it no yeah, all the village Horace, no. Yeah. no no absolutely no. um but what you were saying about you know the beginning of the film i think it's one of those again a good example of how that opening scene like you say completely establishes the world Horace, his mission and his goals and everything you know that that first five or ten minutes and the meeting with Malg, uh, all that um, battling the, the wolves and mm. his dad dying, I think I think is a very, very good, well-paced yeah. opening sequence. It really, exactly. really it's, um, it's a little bit cliche. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's a little bit cliche. It could be done 
it could have been done slightly better, but the problem is they would have to have added about five minutes extra, you know. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps you know, him with the father at the beginning of the story rather than it opening him with him just being chased by wolves. Because then you could have a bit more of like, okay, his father's ill. Um, he's gone out to hunt, you know, he's he's got into a bit predicament, but you can see from the fact that he's taken on all these wolves that he can handle himself and he's more than capable of yeah. looking after himself. Uh, and then he obviously becomes the chosen one through the whole Morgul deal. Um, but then, you know, the only, I feel like they kind of forgot about that prerequisite and then just said, well, how are we going to move him forward? Oh, we'll kill off his father that no one's met. So it, it really didn't have any emotional, it doesn't, it doesn't give you any emotional gravitas because you haven't got to know the character. You just, it literally just serves as a like, this is why he has to leave. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, his father's dying wish and you cannot question his father's dying wish. It's a little bit cheap, but it works and it's, it's not something I'm going to nitpick. Yeah. Although yeah. I just have. So, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I think it's got, there's some great, there really are some really good sequences in it um bits along the way as well i think the battle with molas the uh, giant pike um That's you know cool, yeah. you know it, it's the next uh, tribulation for horus to try and win over the villagers with um you know and i think the whole build up to the to when he fights him and he's skirting around the rocks and molas is you know sort of looking and then suddenly jumps on him i think there's great tension and um a build up to that and then it's a really good action sequence. Um, and then it's got good drama and, and everything else. And then he finally defeats uh, Molas. And then, you know, then you've got this sort of uplifting, really uplifting music afterwards when all the fish return to the river. Mm. Uh, I think that whole sequence is really, really good as well. And I think the end sequence as well, the final battle, it's, you know, the the, the giant um, ice mammoth, I think is really, I, I don't know, I quite liked it and the way it froze over and you've got the ice wolves floating around. The spirits, you know, yeah. The spirits and that. I think that's a really good, it's a really good final sequence and a really good final end battle which then, then leads back to Grunwald's palace and Horus defeats him there. Um, mm. And then, you know, you have the, the battle between Maug, which is this big rock monster and, and the ice mammoth. Um, yeah. And I look at that and I think, again, I look back to it, which is now like 50 years ago. And it's like, do I, is that, you know, an early example of monsters fighting? You know, a bit of a spin-off from early Godzilla and maybe the early, um, you know, Clash of the Titans sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't, I'm not sure what you, what there was of monsters fighting like that. You know, the giant monsters um, yeah. fighting back then so i don't know if that's an early example of it or not but it was quite interesting to see um quite interesting to see that really yeah it was uh, mog is an interesting little character um well i said little um yeah. huge character but not in the sense of like a huge impact on the story other yeah. than the fact that he's just like oh, i'll be your loyal subservient yeah. and also make a nice little cameo in the end screen yeah exactly <laughs> you only see him at the very beginning and at the very end and yeah and then, like, it, yeah, laying down, in a, yeah. laying down in that little position where he's got his arm up in the air, like a classic anime. Yeah, that's, pose, um, yeah, that end bit there, I think that's hilarious. I mean, I think that is very much of its time, that, that, yeah, that it's, whole scene. It's really strange, because like, obviously they, they think Hilda, obviously, has passed on. Yeah. Uh, and she just turns up back at the village at the very end, now regain, you know, with her regained humanity. And the reaction is... Let's go, and they just run. 
<laughs> no one knows to where. No one knows why. Uh, they run what seems to be in the complete opposite direction of the village that she's travelled for ages to get to, and they just run into the sun. Set. Yeah. Sunrise. It's we, weird. Like I say, with Mal lying down, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, um, it's very much, I think that, that, if anything dates this film, I think it's, it's things like that, um, which I think I'll, I'll say are very much, and I think that's the type of thing you saw in live action films as well. Um, mm. I want to, I want to say things like the sound of music or something, but that, I don't know, that whole sequence, um, freeze away and cut to black. There was a few yeah. interesting, like things, because there's obviously a lot going on with the wolves attacking in the beginning. Um, I feel like they they just they saved a lot of time and money by just having audio play underneath stills, panoramic stills yeah. of the action. Well, um, so that's a, that's an interesting thing to get onto because there's two sequences when the the foxes attack and then when the rats attack, and you yeah. have these long panning. Now. Horus was a was a production nightmare. Um, it took three years to complete when it should have only taken eight months. So oh. it was it was started in 1965. And Story have, of any creative's life. Yeah. To be um, started yeah. It started in 1965 and I think should have aired in 1965. Um, but it actually then uh, got a release in 1968. So after three years, um, and I think those sequences. Um, from what I've read on various sources on the internet, is basically where they were just kind of had run out of time and they just couldn't animate it all. Because um, the sequences are a bit, some of them are a bit odd and they feel yeah. unusual in the film. Because, I mean, some of the animation in it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah. And when you think about how old it is, um, it's, I mean, some of it is really beautiful. Um, but then you've got those scenes and they feel really out of place. Yeah. And I think that was just where they just, it was like you know, get this film out, um, yeah. and they had to. It, just... I mean, to be fair to them, it was a lot to animate. Yeah, uh, so much to animate. Bless them. Because um, there's a lot yeah. of detail. There's a lot of there's a lot of fluidity in the movement. Um, yeah. There's no. I mean, if you exclude those two battle fight sequences, there are no shortcuts anywhere else in this film. No. None at all. Oh. No, I mean, if you're going to cut corners, that'd be the only way they could have cut corners on that. Because if they tried to have animated it even slightly, if they just tried to put, you know, a slight, slightly less time into it, it would yeah. have looked awful. Yeah. So it was yeah, kind of like I, the I lesser think, of the two evils to just do the yeah, panning to shot, do panning stills. Yeah. Uh, because it's it works. It's yeah. not brilliant though because you're like you, you know you appreciate it. it's like oh there's a lot going on this needs like this is what happening this is happening this is happening back to Horus um, so they pile it off well because um, Horus just abandons them yeah. <laughs> straight up just leaves them because like, he just charges head on into these wolves and you're like Horus didn't you think your priority should be with protecting the village but no he's well too into <laughs> chasing this white wolf that he is obsessed with yeah um, and never, never seems to catch it, and then it dies fairly underwhelmingly in the yeah. last. Thing. It yeah. just seems weird, like it just it completely abandons the village and everyone. I know, and he does, he does that. He does it a couple of times as well, doesn't he? Does, he? I think he does yeah. it at the rat bit as well. He's he's off chasing the silver uh, wolf again. Yeah, and they get attacked, you know, and Hilda uses that to her advantage to turn the um, and she's in cahoots with uh, what's his name, Drago, or whatever the um. Yeah, Drago, the, that weird. The weird. I mean, he's very, he's very odd looking. The uh, village chief's uh, sort of advisor, 
yeah. um, but I think the kind of the backstabbing and the kind of stolduggery that goes on with him, um, who obviously feels very threatened by Horace um, yeah. and everything, and sort of then uses Hilda to to turn the village. Um, I think that I think that's a very interesting sort of subplot um, with him. Um, the way he t- and then ends up does turn in the village against Horace. The way mm. that's played out through the film, I think, is really, really well done. And I think it is staged, and the characters and the way the characters interact um, are very interesting as well. Because, again, Hilda is kind of sometimes indifferent to him, um, mm. you know, and she turns on him a bit, but then she reluctantly helps him, and then sometimes she's quite gleeful the way she helps him, um, especially when the axe is thrown at uh, the, the village chief. And then, you know, that point where the village turns on him and she sort of creates the image of the silver fox and he, it looks like he's attacked Hilda. I think all that, the way it all builds up and then is executed, uh, I think it's really, really good sort of story development and I think that's really good writing. Yeah. And it's it just plays out really, really logically and at the right sort of pace as well. Because mm. um, I have to say, I think even in its short run of time, I think there's a, a few places where it's suddenly feels like it drags but on the whole um i think certain bits of the plot do play out yeah so there's certain you elements know, really well. that you yeah there's certain elements within those extended points where you know they, they're needed to sort of test hilda or yeah um there isn't really any testing of horace as such because he's just steadfast in his yeah. you know this is my mission um and there's it's a bit weird from a uh, i think character development perspective because he Really, he, he remains he remains astute and focused the entire time. Yeah. Um, and nothing really, um, ever sways his judgment or ever no. you know challenge really truly challenges him. No. Even when he falls into the forest of doubt, he's still like I, the way out. Yeah. And again, <laughs> so that's another sequence as well where where he gets out of the uh, forest of doubt as well because it's mm. it's this kind of odd sequence. Um, and it gets some bizarre imagery, and then there's this really turns into this really cheery uplifting sequence and then he just gets out and nothing challenges his belief or his um or his self-belief i should say you know he's mm. nothing nothing can knock horace at all um yeah it's, it, it kind of makes him a little bit boring yeah uh so and that's why hilda i think steals the show a bit more because there's more in there's more about her i completely agree with that and, yeah. uh, and that was a point i was going to bring up i think in the film about horace Hilda completely steals the show mm. and is by far the most developed, most interesting character mm. um, by, by a long, long way. And her story and, and everything, as I say, uh, Flip Flop and, you know, and ultimately when she saves Flip at the end and she gives up her immortality by giving him the medallion to save him, you know, and, and that's her mm. final redemption. Um, yeah. I think it's just so interesting because, again, the, the scene where you first um, see Hilda when we're talking about how good the animation is and stuff, that sequence where Horace comes onto that deserted village and then it's lit up by the sun over the lake. Mm. Um, mm. I, th- I think that is a really, really beautiful sequence with Hilda singing in the background. And then yeah. it kind of, you see him sort of walking through the, through the village um, and all these derelict buildings. And then he, he comes across Hilda with the little owl and squirrel, uh, what they call uh, Toto and Chiro. I, th- I think that's a beautiful sequence. I really, really do. Um, and it, it kind of, 
it's like obviously we're spending so much time making this village light up in the sunlight correctly that uh, they couldn't do all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, um, it's, it's quite funny. The the weird thing I think um, is as you said about Hilda, you know, giving away her um, her amulet and everything else. Her entire journey is about sacrifice. Um, yeah, and everything else. So, well, I I don't understand why Horace hasn't got anything. He, he sacrificed. He doesn't really sacrifice anything. No. Um, and he he doesn't have an, any major plot point that kind of excels him into the limelight. He just realizes that he needs to rely on everyone. You know, his yeah. light at the end of the tunnel is the fact that, oh, yes, of course, everyone needs to help me reforge the sword. Yeah. Um, but then there's nothing. And then everyone helps him at the end by reflecting the light off their weapons as well. So, yeah, you know, so... the, the village <clears throat> defeats Gronwald at the end, not just Horus. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I say, in, th- in that respect, um, you know, if you look at some of the other characters, Hilda by far is the standout character. The village mm. chief and Drago, I think, are very interesting. I think they're good characters. Um, and then even Flip's grandfather, Flip, and you know some of those others, I think generally are, even though they get a lot less screen time than Horus, are generally a bit more interesting because they, <laughs> they they show a few more human traits rather than Horus, who, like, like we've just said, is completely um, steadfast and unflappable and unbreakable um, yeah. despite everything that's thrown at him you know mm. yeah but bless him he's still a cool character i'll give him yeah i'll give him that i mean he's he's mm. he's still uh he's still the hero and mm. again for a film of that time i think that is what heroes what people wanted to see in a hero you know mm. i think just the stiff kind of i know it's an english thing the stiff upper lip but people wanted to see that didn't they they expected their heroes to be unbreakable yeah um, there's nothing human about them they are just like you know demigods yeah and yeah. Horus just demonstrates that perfectly, I think, mm. that expectation of a hero. I think he does that is done very, very well. I think, you know, it's not a very... Um, you couldn't say it's a very cheery film, but um, what light little comic relief, I think, comes from um, Toto and Chiro, who act as the devil and angel on Hilda's um, shoulders, don't they? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you've, got, I think, uh, yeah. You've also got the... What's his little one? His flip. little bear. Oh, Koro, yeah. Yeah, Koro, you've got Koro. And then, you know, there's a bit there's a bit of comedic relief from the um, you know, chief getting hit by his own yeah. barn. And, and yeah, like yeah, that, that stuff, there's, stuff. Yeah, there's a few little yeah. bits in there, in there. Um, it's, 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 very, it's very Ghibli. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's very Princess Mononoke-esque in terms of, you know, there's serious stuff going on, but at the same time, there's a little bit of comic relief there. Was, um, yeah, I think... You know, there's certain bits of this film. The bit at the very beginning with the blackbirds and when they kind of attack Horace on the beach and Kara on the beach and then mm. soar about him. Uh, there's bits like that. Um, Grunwald's design, like I say, about Maleficent. There's lots of bits in this film that remind me of the original 1937 Disney Snow White film. Mm. There's, there's some of the way the animation, the characters move and, and whatever, I think... I know there's lots of bits of this film that remind me of Snow White. I couldn't directly compare it, but there are just bits in it that feel very familiar, um, I should say. You know, there is a familiarity with this film, with that early Disney. On that basis, I think you can clearly see why Takahata and the way it progressed then with Miyazaki. You can clearly see, I think, the seeds of Studio Ghibli in this film. 
Yeah. Um, I, I really do. I think it's um, it's not by accident that those two went on to create Studio Ghibli. Yeah. Um, it's it's very it's very good. I, I did thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, it is. It's Sorry. it's very good. Um, the other thing with the film as well, I think what maybe is intended as a I don't know as a children's film. Um, I think it's quite dark. I think there's quite a sinister tone that runs or undertone that runs through the film. You know, there's a lot of interesting depictions of life and death in it. Uh, Flip's father gets killed by Molas. Horace's father dying. The interruption of, um, well, the celebration of Rusin and Philia's wedding, and then the interruption and she gets hurt. You know, it's that. Um, yeah. You know, it's a real. It's 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 the, it's the good with the bad. Yeah. Um, it's it's like a early Disney as such. You know, remember like Titan AE and and uh, like uh, Journey to Atlantis or something. I can't remember. Titan yeah. AE, Titan After Earth. That was. Uh, that wasn't. That was. Uh, that wasn't Disney. Was it not? No, uh, it was a Universal or someone like that. It was a Universal. Yeah. Oh. But I know with the the Atlantis film. I know you're what the film you're talking about. Um, mm. I think you can see the influence of stuff like this on on that because I think that's that film is a very um, unsung Disney film. Um, mm. I, think it, I think there's a lot of good stuff in that, but you know that means it often gets overlooked and doesn't really get talked about very much. But I think that is a I think that is a really good um, really good film. Mm. Um, yeah, like I say, I mean, as you say, really, it's a traditional 60s adventure story. And it's, you know, it's an absolutely classic tale of good overcoming evil. And within it, I think there are lots of themes that would become absolute hallmarks of Ghibli. There's family tragedy, loneliness, isolation, redemption, a prescribed destiny. They're all things you see Takahata and Miyazaki do in the Ghibli films. Yeah. Um so I think it's yeah absolutely it's you know the sort of starting point for for Studio Ghibli in a lot of ways mm. absolutely um, but as we say uh, yeah I think it's a good film I thoroughly recommend it I think it's a very very interesting and probably quite a key film um, in the history of anime of, of where anime got to sort of twenty years later so uh, yeah hi- highly highly recommend it. Mm, yeah i think i would too it's definitely a really fun watch yeah mm. um gets gets an eight out of ten for me i would say yeah i'd give it a, a 7.5 out of 10 eight, yeah 7.5 eight, yeah i think there's a few bits you know unfortunately those sequences still sequences kind of spoil the flow a little bit and the look of the film but um overall yeah i think it does um it does a great job in its uh 80 odd minutes of of runtime mm, for sure Okay, so we'll move on to our next review. Um, so we're next going to look at Panda Go Panda. is a 1972 short film directed by Aito Takahata and written by Hayao Miyazaki. 
and was produced by Tokyo Movie Shinsa. It had a sequel called Rainy Day Circus, which followed a year later in 1973. This would be Hayao Miyazaki's first creative work and his first creative collaboration with Aisai Takahata. Um, it's available on DVD in the UK from Manga Entertainment, which does include the original Japanese track on it. And there is also a DVD and Blu-ray available in the US from Discotech. Brief synopsis, so the original short film, Panda Go Panda, about a little girl, Mimiko, who lives with her grandmother beside a bamboo grove. And one day, Mimiko's grandmother goes away for a while, leaving Mimiko to herself. One day, a baby panda appears in the garden along with its father, Papa Panda. And uh, Mimiko asks Mr Panda if he would like to be her father, and he agrees. And then adventures ensue. Mm. And then in its sequel, Rainy Day Circus, um, the family of Mimiko and Papa Panda and Baby Panda um, are living together when a little tiger appears that's sort of run away or escaped from a circus that's come to town. So again, with that, sort of all sorts of adventures ensue with the three of them. So uh, what do you think of Panda Go Panda then, Lewis? Uh, prototype Totoro. Yeah. Um, uh, proto Totoro. <laughs> Protoro. Um, yeah, it's it's like you could tell immediately as soon as like Papa Panda sticks his head inside the window and does the big Totoro smile, and you're like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah I see where you're going with this. Um, I really thought it was lovely. It's got a nice little musical score. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the music most of all. Actually, it was just it's just very happy go lucky and um, amicable. Yeah. Uh, it's it's you know got the it's childish. I'd let, I, I think it's one of the if I was to have a child and I wanted them to get into anime uh, at a very young age, you know, like three, four, yeah. five, I, so I'd stick that on. Yeah, I for agree. Them to, yeah. to watch because it's just, it's the characters are kooky. Papa Panda has got a really interesting voice acting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, he certainly <laughs> has. Yeah, and uh, it's just it's just really sweet. It's it just is. a sweet sweet little you know. I agree. I Calamity think, show. Yeah, I agree. I think I think they're just lovely short children's films, you know, mm. and I think really they've aged um, very well, uh, both yeah. of them. Um, and I completely agree. I think you could, despite their age, I think you know, young children would still really enjoy both of those both of those films. Mm. Um, and they're short enough as well, you know, for the right level of attention span. That, exactly. You know, yeah. young children have, I, you know, because they chip along at quite the right pace. Um, mm. They never really drag. I know they're short, but they could easily still not have a lot going on in them. But I think they mm. move along, and the characters, you know, um, Mimiko is, you know, a bubbly, sprightly, full of beans young girl. You know, she's not afraid mm. of anything. She's really plucky. She's she's a Fiercely. real maker, Sakabi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fiercely independent and everything, you know. And what is interesting about both of these films, um, what you were saying about Totoro, um, is there's clearly some ideas in in both of these films that would come up in, in later Studio Ghibli films. Absolutely. That Papa Panda and Baby Panda are clearly early ideas for Totoro. Absolutely. You, I mean, anyone who watches this who's seen Totoro, because typically most people have seen Totoro and then have seen this afterwards go, oh my God, it's Totoro. Yeah. You know, then as well, Mimiko, as I say, the pluckiness, clearly there's some, some seeds there 
some foundation there for um, Heidi, Girl of the Alps, which Takahatu would direct in 1974 after Rainy Day Circus. Uh, Heidi is is character and the way she, you know smiley, the way she runs, in the way she's excited at everything. Um, again, being fiercely independent, Mimiko is that early prototype of of her. I think you can see some of Miyazaki's. You know, a lot of his films have ecological messages in them. And I think you can yeah. kind of see that here, can't you? You know, the plight of animals in a zoo and in a circus or, or whatever. Um, yeah. I think there's some early bits. And then the flood scene in Rainy Day Circus. Um, some of the shots that were used in that um, and the ideas, I think, were, you know, are lifted directly into Ponyo. Um, yeah. The views from above when Papa Panda's fishing and you can see the water and the fish and you can see the little crabs scattered yeah, about it's, it's yeah like quaint that is that is literally in um and again when papa panda's under the water looking through the water at the house those images or that imagery is lifted directly and reused in ponyo so mm. i think again panda go panda's historical it's a cornerstone isn't it cornerstone really? yeah you know it's historical relevance is the word the phrase i was looking for um is very very apparent now looking being a fan now, having seen all the stuff that's come since, and then watching this again, um, you oh. can see yeah, it was an absolute cornerstone. And again, on the back of where Horace, um, what happened in Horace, and then you know, sort of four or five years later, you get these films from Takahata and Miyazaki. Then yeah, the the you can see that trajectory they were both on that that led to um, Studio Ghibli. So um, yeah, I think from it's historical reference in that respect, but the, just how lovely the films are, you know, yeah, I think it's, a, yeah. I think they're a really, really good, really good watch. Um, yeah. It's, it's slapstick. It's well paced. Yeah. It's just bubbly. And, yeah. You know, you watch it and you're like, ha, ah, yeah. You, you grin. Yeah. You know, you're not you going to laugh out loud because you're, you know, you're 20, 30, <laughs> depending on where, however old you're going to watch it. But you know, your kids would, your kids yeah. would laugh super hard yeah. at the slapstick. Whereas you can just smile and be like, yeah, I appreciate this Yeah. for the for the piece of art that it is. Um, you know, Mimiko, uh, she's kind of a typical child of no parents, or it's a typical mm. child of no parents story, which mm. in anime is quite a trope. And I don't know if this is just a very, very early example of it in anime. I'm not sure, but it just, that sort of scenario is, is so apparent these days you see it in all sorts of stuff um and it's interesting to see it all the way back whatever 45 years ago yeah very 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 early example of that but the stories they're quite straightforward but they kind of fit everything in you know if you look at the original the, the first um short film it does everything quite neatly you know mm. it establishes the characters it establishes the scenario they have some adventures there's a bit of peril Papa, not much, not much, but, early, but yeah. just enough, you know, to, to create a bit of tension and a bit of edge. Uh, yeah. Papa Panda saves the day and then there's a happy ending for everyone, mm. you know, and that's kind of then repeated and built upon in Rainy Day Circus. So it, it does all that. Um, I mean, I have to say, I think Rainy Day Circus is probably the better of the two. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's nice. You know, I think it, it kind of benefits 
well, it does benefit from the fact that the stories established, the characters are established in the first short film, so you mm. can fit more story thing. But I think the story, the way it plays out, is just more interesting. And I think you know the whole bit with returning Tiny, the, you know, the little tiger to his mother, and then especially the the train, the runaway train bit. I think that's a, I think that's fantastic, and I think little children would love that sort of thing. Mm. You know, I think it's yeah. a great, that's great children's entertainment. Um, that yeah. sequence, especially then when Papa Panda then sort of s- stops the train right in front of the the, the, mayor's, the, house. the mayor's house or whatever, you know, it's brilliant. You know, that's just really, really good children's writing. It's is. wholesome. It's wholesome slapstick comedy yeah. with with just a bit the right amount of peril. Yeah. In the sense that it's exactly. Just a, a, yeah. The peril is usually just a complete misunderstanding. Yeah. Um, which is a nice little, just a nice touch. But it's a happy, happy go lucky short films it is um but i still think there's something that's slightly different about them compared to western children's fair i think the scene where mimiko first meets the pandas is i think honestly that's quite odd i think there's there's something just a bit bizarre about it and papa mm. panda's talking in that weird accent um yeah and then she gives him yeah, the hat and strange. the slippers and the pipe and all the rest of it and mm. it's like, will you be my papa? And it's like, yeah, I'll be your papa. I don't know. It's, it's a bit... Yeah, yeah it's, it, it, I guess in this day and age, it's It's a bit strange. odd. I, yeah. I, I, I'll I do... be the mummy. I'll <laughs> yeah. be the daddy. It's like, uh... Yeah, yeah. really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and especially yeah. when she goes around saying, um, he's my daddy and I'm the mummy sort of thing. And like, no one bats an eyelid, you know? Yeah. None at all. Just, and... yeah. Even the policeman, when he goes to check on, on Mimico and that, it's like, yep, you're living with two talking pandas. Yep, that's absolutely fine. You know? Oh, no, he freaks out, doesn't he? I swear, I swear he freaks out in the first one. Oh, maybe he freaks he, out in the first one. Yeah, he, d- yeah, he, does, yeah, he does freak right, out in yeah, the first one. He right, runs yeah. away. But then um, Rainy Day Circus, it's just like... Yeah, no, yeah, it's widely. At this point, yeah, at this point, they've this point. saved the town probably yeah. like 10, 15 times over and everyone's just okay with a giant, yeah. super strong panda. Yeah, um, who um, puts on a hat, carries a briefcase and catches the... Um, subway train home you know yeah yeah yeah. he's just funny yeah he's just funny but he's quite entertaining because he's kind of quite lazy yeah and maybe maybe that's what pandas are like because they are quite you know sort of slothy animals aren't they you know the the, the funny thing is i've read something recently about pandas is that they're actually not evolved but they're not meant to eat bamboo oh really and that it's because they don't get any energy out of it well i mean they eat they obviously eat bamboo, and my wording will be off from what I've read about this, but they're actually, they shouldn't be eating bamboo because they have to constantly eat to be able to function. And the reason they have no, like, sex drive or anything else to reproduce is because they just have no bloody energy. Oh, really? Because their diet is bamboo. <laughs> so so they're are... literally killing themselves <laughs> through their By instability. feeding on the wrong stuff. Wow. Yeah, they're by, by not eating right. Like, and they're, by not, they're too stupid to realise it. And they're, they're too stupid to do anything else about it. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh god, Bizarre, it just makes yeah. me feel bad. Yeah, they just they just have no energy and they're just stupid. And maybe and you know and Papa Panda is a bit like that, isn't he? He's always going on about bamboo. He's always like gazing longingly at the uh, um, delicious bamboo grove um, next door. And <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's just great just... the way he gets on. He, he starts the episode like, oh, I really don't want a job. Yeah. And then once he has to go back and be a feature at the at the, at zoo, the zoo, that's his nine to five. Yeah. It's genius, absolutely genius. Walks home. Yeah, with the hat he's on. like, oh, I have to work. You know, yeah. it's like, oh yes. 
Uh, it's very, very bizarre. Um, yeah. But then, you know, there's some other bits in it as well. Um, the beginning, the, the, the opening sequence of Rainy Day Circus uh, is basically a retelling of Goldilocks. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking that. You know, who's eating my food? Who's been sleeping in my bed? That sort yeah. of thing, isn't it? With the thing, so that's that's the quite time, yeah. that's quite interesting. Um, I think again for what essentially is sort of children's uh, a children, you know, 1972 children's film. Um, I think the animation's quite good. Mm. Um, it looks, you know, we've watched the DVD version. I I'm, I'm I am going to go out and buy the Blu-ray of this. I think. I think it's um it's quite simplistic, but it just looks really nice. Um, I, you know, I just think it looks clean. Um, you know, there's quite a good cell count. Everything moves quite nicely. Um, you know, the bit with the train when the trains run away and the way the train flexes in that sort of really cartoony sort of way, and especially when Papa Bear stops it and it all sort of bends and folds and crunches up behind it and then relaxes when Papa panda stops it you know i think all that looks really good and you think god this you know this is probably a relatively low budget 45 year old animation it was just churned out you know to entertain some kids on a saturday afternoon at the cinema you know um i think it's i think it's aged looks wise very well and i think the music you you know you, you talked about how good the music was earlier um and like a lot of the cartoons if you look at like the Pink Panther cartoons and the Looney Tunes cartoons, you may not remember these, Lewis, but I certainly do. Um, I do remember Looney Tunes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you remember the Pink Panther cartoons? That was probably that was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember. I even remember Spy vs. Spy. Oh yeah, Spy vs. All those sort of things. What they did was they used music in place of dialogue. Yeah. And everything. Slapstick. And stuff. And and this does it. And the music in this serves that purpose really really well when there's action after the floods and the calmness is like beautiful sort of calm tranquil music that follows it you know both scenes um at the end where mimiko and baby panda are heading towards the weir you know and and the train wreck you know there's the sort of zany action music yeah. that ups the ups the tension so yeah it's i mean it does it does everything i think really really well um I think they're great. Yeah, they're great. They're great mm. kids' films. Um, and again, similarly to to Horace, I think you know it's not only is it good, well, it's good in two two ways. Good and it's another cornerstone of of anime history. Um, but mm. then it's just you know it's good entertaining anime that's aged really well in mm. the last forty or fifty years. You know, so um, yeah. Again, for me, this is another another eight out of ten. I think. Yeah, I, I think I'll give it a nine, just because I really, you know, it was really heartwarming. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah it was. It is. It's great stuff. You know, I think. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, I would, you know, always, I'd definitely recommend. Uh, I'd definitely I'd recommend, recommend watching it. it. Yeah. Uh, I'd yeah. recommend sticking it on, you know, for your three-year-old and watch them get obsessed with it, and yeah. you know, have to. You know, I'm sure you'd rather have to, you know, stick that on repeat day after day <laughs> rather than something like Toy Story so you slowly lose your mind. Um, but yeah. yeah, really, really good. And, yeah, you can definitely see where um, Studio Ghibli uh, came from. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, awesome. Right, well, that brings us to the end of the reviews then, Lewis. Indeed. 
Okay, so... Right, so uh, next episode. Uh, next episode, we will be returning to the world of obscure OVAs. So, like in episode 3, where we reviewed Salamander and Goddamn, we will have a look at a couple of sort of odd, obscure OVAs that have never been released uh, in the West. Um, what they will actually be, um, I haven't quite decided yet. Um, I've got about a half dozen which I'm tying with and I kind of want to review all of them, but I kind of want to spread them out a bit. So all I'll say on that is keep an eye on Twitter um, and you'll see the usual I'm watching this ahead of a review on the podcast with Lewis tweet. So um, keep your eyes peeled for that. Okay. Um, that leads us to where to find us. So you can find us on Twitter at Retro Anime. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, Podomatic, Stitcher and iTunes. Just search for Retro Anime Podcast. Please like, repost, leave reviews, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, you can find the website. Uh, the web address is RetroAnimePodcast.com. You can email me directly um, on ian at RetroAnimePodcast.com. And I'm also quite uh, active on the Anime UK News Forums. My username is Organ, as in Detonator Organ. Okay, so that, I think, wraps us up for today, Lewis. So, uh, good chat, that. I really enjoyed that. So, uh, yeah, it was really good, yeah. Yeah, good, good, to, go, good, good to go back into the, deep into the history of anime. So, uh, that's it for now. So, take it easy. See you later. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.